it's just such an interesting sphere. It, we don't know anything about it yet. <laughs> we're, we're learning still. Um, this, um, what happens under the ground with you know fungal and um, bacteria and the interrelationship between plants and how they talk to one another and whatnot. We know nothing uh, about it yet. Um, and I just, I've just seen a since we've been going down that path, we've just seen improvement improvements in our country. That was Baden McDougall, and you're listening to the Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer and in this podcast series I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host Charlie Arnott. Today, welcome back to the Regenerative Journey for our last episode of season seven, kindly sponsored by Holland Beef. Uh, as you can hear, the birds twittering in the background, sitting here in the borough office, waiting for the rain to fall. The winds picked up a little. The birds are tweeting. Um, so we are waiting with anticipation for rain. Enough of the local news. Um, I do want to. Um, I'm a bit sad, really, because I'm sad. Not sad. You know, it's the end of the season. I love our seasons. I love. Um, I love what happens in them. I love the opportunity to in, interview amazing guests, amazing people, um, unearthing their stories, their trials, their tribulations, their challenges, and you know achievements um it's a real honor i have to say straight out of the blocks for this final episode intro it is an absolute honor to chat with these people um i'm very enthused by the number of other podcasts out and about that are doing similar things they're you know exploring and understanding and and certainly unearthing um stories of other people i think it's wonderful that um there's so many really good options really good um interesting podcasts out there for people to to um to jump on in the you know farming thing, I guess we may be a little unique in that we do sort of stretch across farming and life generally. We're not just you know um, uh, stuck on farmers in terms of you know regenerative journeys and regenerative living, but yeah, an honour to be to be part of part of um, those who are yeah bringing people's stories to the world. Before I do my thank yous to sign off, actually I'll do the thank yous at the end. That's what I'll do. I won't bang on about it now. Just one, one, one quick thing I want to mention is that um, uh, Conscious Ground. We are doing a biodynamic workshop at Conscious Ground. Oh, geez, I should have had those dates ready. It's 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 the twentieth and twenty something of November, I think. Oh my god! Oh, oh my god! I should have had myself organised, shouldn't I? Um, it is somewhere down there. It's the end of November. Let me just have a quick little 
searchy search here. It is 20th and 21st of November. It's up in um, the nearby Bay. Lovely bunch of uh, people there farming, growing all sorts of yummy food. Um, and we've Hamish and I did a workshop there. Oh, gee, Wizzikers. Must have been early. Must have been last year, actually. It was fantastic. A bit of an in house thing. But this one is open to the public. Get on to charlieallet.com.au. Check out the events page. Grab your tickets because even when this comes out, it's still going to be another three weeks away from from uh, three or four weeks actually <clears throat> from um, uh, from the actual workshop. So please jump on there and do that now. I'm a bit, bit of a bit of a bra- uh, brain freeze. I was going to talk about something else as well to finish off the the year. Oh, maybe a bit about next year. Like next year is um, what is next year going to be? I don't know. Season eight. Um, hoping to get overseas next year, actually, and interview um, a few people uh, over there in the US and in Europe. Would love your feedback. Please feel free to jump on um, the website. Um, I think the email address says contact at charliearnett.com.au. Let me know who you'd like me to interview. There's some obvious ones in the States. I want to try and grab um, Gabe Brown. Um, Dave Asprey, I'd like to interview. Joe Rogan, that'd be awesome. Interview, interview those guys. Uh, do they do interviews? They do all the interviewing, don't they? But maybe they'd like to sit on the other side of the of the, of the table on a different microphone. Um, Joel Salatin, I've, I've done a course. A few guys at um, Kiss the Ground there in LA. Um, bloody hell! I, I've um, I had a few quite. I had a few lined up. I'd have to just jump on my Instagram. On me? Did I say on me Instagram? That's a bit rude. On my Instagram. And try and just have a bit of a flick through here, but there's oh, um, how how cool would it be to to interview Robert Kennedy Jr. That would be so amazing. And who pops up on my feed? That very man. If you're not into Robert Kennedy Jr., I don't know. I just reckon he is a bloody winner. Yes, he's the nephew of John F. Kennedy, and I just think he is an amazing person. You know, just an amazing. If I was um. If I was in the States, I'd be voting for him. That is no doubt about that at all. I'm kind of glad I'm not in the States, though, because what a shit fight that is over there. But anyway, it's good to um, – just and he's got some just some bloody really solid views on the world, um, I reckon. He's a lawyer, um, but I'll tell you what, he's a nice one. And he is um, – he, he, he cut his teeth with environmental-related um, um, cases where he defended people and he, pers- he, he prosecuted many – environmental vandals in his day and then in more recent years he's been doing other very interesting things. So um, just flicking through here, I can't actually, it's not, nothing's popping up here, right here. Um, oh, there's a uh, Justin Rhodes. That'd be pretty cool to interview him. Um, who else? Anyway, get some, get some, um, get some things to me, um, some suggestions. I'd love as many as you have. Actually, Sarah, Sarah, um, Schmuda, she gave me some some tips the other day. Actually, some people who aren't well known but lovely, and he, she said they'd be awesome guests. So anyway, I'm really happy. Doesn't these people don't have to be famous, by the way? Um, let me know now. Also in Europe as well, who's over there? Richard Perkins, uh, Hugh Fernley, Whittingstall would be awesome. Um, I've just started. Oh well, a couple of weeks ago, Jeremy Clarkson. If you if you if you anyone watch, it's it's hysterical. He's just it's it's very funny, very interesting too. Getting a bit of an insight into the British. Ag, 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 ag industry and gee whiz, and we reckon we were sort of governed and, and restricted by um, regulation. My God, they've got a just 
unending bloody amounts of red tape with everything they do. So that's been interesting. So um, Jeremy Clarkson would be awesome to track him down. I'd love to interview the king. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? When he was prince, it probably would have been a bit easier because I have been to his farm over there, um, Highgrove Home Farm, um, many years ago, and David Wilson, the farm manager there, Kate um, Prentice. Oh, now Kate, that was her maiden name. Kate, you know, you know how you are, who you are. Pommy, she um, lined that up. This is years ago now. It was fantastic to meet David, and, and you know, I did a bit of a video interview with him on the farm. So I still might have some in, a bit of an inroad there. Who knows? That'd be a bit of a coup interviewing the king about regenerative agriculture in his life. I'm sure it'd be highly edited, and I'd be getting scrutinised. But anyway, that'd be awesome. So anyone else over there, you might want to. Jim Beery, you're up for the. Um, you're up for it too, mate. You're, I know you listen to this. You're an avid, avid listener, which is fantastic. And um, Jim's not necessarily well-known, <clears throat> but he's an awesome farmer over there. He's been very helpful in um, a few contacts, and he's doing fantastic things. So look after him. Look uh, look up, look him up, farmer underscore Beery, <laughs> northern farmer who likes to ask questions. I think that's awesome. Who else over there? Bloody hell, I did have a bit of a, a list. Oh, I'll think of it. I'll think of it. Oh, Patrick Holden, that'd be awesome to interview him as well. Um, but give me some tips. Uh, I'd like to get to to Spain, to Ibiza um, as well. I've got some good buddies over there. Um, Jess, you've been, been, you're just doing some amazing stuff over there, so keen to interview a few people there. It'd be a good excuse to go to Ibiza. Ibiza. Is it Ibiza? Oh, yeah, it is Ibiza. Ibiza. Um, so that's going to be awesome to get over there. In Italy, there are a few people over there I'd probably like to interview now. I was there five, well, five and a half years ago, and I didn't, I wasn't doing podcasts, but I think I'm going to, there's a few people over there I'd love to interview as well because it's just, I don't know, I love talking to people. But I think that may well be an international season. Um, having said that, though, there are quite a few people I want to interview before I go, which does mean that I'll have to kind of have to have a long, hard think about how I'm going to. Fashion next year's seasons. <clears throat> Michelle and I will have to put our heads together, as will Reese, my long-suffering but so patient um, producer. To Reese, who's getting married soon too, um, and he he's he's so good. I've got to say, very patient and does such a wonderful job. But I'll thank him when we get to the other end of this interview. Um, I think that's all I wanted to chat about. There's some. Um, our farm days in a couple of weeks' time, but this will be well and truly over by the time um, this will be out before uh, after the farm day. So I might have a report on that another time. But I think that's enough from me. Um, Baden McDool, he is um, one of the um, Holland beef farmers that um, that uh, take on some of the Holland beef, excuse me, stock steers and heifers and so on and fattens them for the Holland beef mob. Um, he wouldn't necessarily call himself a regenerative farm, but by God, he's doing some amazing things there that fall into that sort of a um, those sort of practices. Um, very conscientious, great observer um, up there at Bingra. He's a multi-generational farm. And he's, you know, well, he's an experimenter. He likes trying different things, and I think that's really important. Um, he's curious. Um, we had a lovely chat there. The rain did fall, so there might have been a few periods where it was a bit, um, noisy, tumbling down. So, can you hear Ange? We've got this black, black furry cat that um, lives in the shed, and she's a beautiful cat. Uh, I know cats aren't everyone's flavour, 
of the month or the year, given they eat things. But you know, she's a good, she's a good at eating rats and mice, which I don't think anyone can argue. We we, lo- we love, and so that's her yelling out for Moo. Um, and I've just seen a youth full of kids come back from um, moving sheep as well. So. I'll, moving cattle, I mean, so I better wrap it up. Baden's awesome. Um, really lovely to get up there to see what he's doing and what a humble bloke, you know, and no, just really knows his stuff. He's got lots more to do and, you know, his boys have come home as well, which is awesome. So they're sort of involved and I think that's just a lovely thing to see, you know, that a, that a family and parents can sort of do what they love doing and create the opportunity for their, their children to come back and be part of that as well. And I think that's a real that's a real talent, you know, because I'm sure there's many farmers who just do their farming and do their stuff and and consciously or otherwise they're not necessarily making it something that the kids um, can choose to come back to, you know, and that's fine too. No one says that has to happen, but I think it's just the way that Baden and, uh, and his wife have just sort of, you know, Gone and done that, and, it, and it's a wonderful thing that the the boys can come back and, and get involved in. Enough bang about me and Baden. Now you are going to listen to the interview I did with Baden McDowell up at Bingra for the regenerative journey. Hope you enjoy. We're on. I just for a minute thought that green meant we were on, but I've forgotten. It's been a month since I did an interview. Again. We're on already. Um, Baden, we are welcome to the regenerative journey. And welcome to your um, patio, outdoor area. What do you call this little spot here? Well, it's our our relaxation area. Yeah, it's our, our patio. Patio. Veranda, out looking, overlooking some of our paddocks. Um, north. Looking north, north, up down the Horton Valley. Horton Valley. Um, so we're about halfway down the Horton Valley. Oh, is that named after Mr Horton or someone? Uh, or, or Mrs Horton? It would have been. I'm not quite sure how Horton got its name, but it would have been someone Horton. Yeah, you'd hope. So the Horton River starts up at Mount Capitar and um, runs through our places and empties into the Guida River down at Graves Inn. Right. Um, and quite often floods more out. This contributes to the flooding? It does. Yeah. Much, yeah. It's one of the fastest flowing rivers in New South Wales. So Really? Yeah. Is that because of large catchment, flat area? Yeah, l- large catchment, but it sort of drops from um, Mount Capitar's 1,250 right. um, metres, I think, um, and spills, like in, as the crow flies, it's probably 70 kilometres and spills down to the Guida at Graves End at 300 metres. Wow. So it's a huge, huge gradient. Yep. Um, very quick flowing river. Bit of flow there. Yep. Do you get the t- Do you get much time to relax out here? It might be your relaxation yeah, area, but we you do. actually um, is it is it being mislabeled because you don't actually relax out here? Oh no, you um, do. Ken and I quite <laughs> often come out here and have a beer in the afternoon and oh good, just look out over things and uh, yeah. do a reflect and have a yarn and bit of relax. I get my orders <laughs> <laughs> for the next day. <laughs> And don't you muck around. You finish that beer and get on with it. Um, so tell me, Baden, where you're, we're here. Is this your happy place? Are we looking? Are we looking at your happy place or bits of it? Are we getting? I got a good vibe about it all. Yeah, we had a bit of a look around before, which is lovely. Yeah, it's that's uh, it, a it's a wonderful area. Um, the Horton the Horton community is a is a great place to live. We've got a 
a wonderful little clubhouse up at Horton there, sporting club. Oh, right. Um, it's it's the sort of focal point of our community, I guess. Is it is it um is it is it in a village or a town? Is there a Horton village or something? Yeah, Upper Horton. Uh, okay. Um, so it's about twenty five kilometres upstream. Um, has a has a great little club. It's tennis, cricket, rodeo. It was based on. Yeah, cool. Um, I was I was involved with it for twenty five years on the board in various representations, mm. but cricket, um, cricket, and then and then president for seven years at the end. But um, it's uh, a strong community. Very strong. Yeah, very strong community. Um, that's a, and it's it's pretty pretty rare these days. You know, there's I see I see a lot of things happen in other areas where you know you might have a. A mine move in and it destroys the local cricket club because they've had to buy up, you know, all the places around. Right. Um, Horton, yeah, pretty not pretty tight knit. Um, yeah, great, great little, great little area. Is there much mine? Is, is the mine that's got in here somewhere? No, no mines, no mines in the valley. Is that because they've been they've been beaten off, or or they just there's no nothing to mine here? No, there's, there's probably nothing. Well, it's cold. Deep, deep down, it's in the Gunnedah Basin. Coal mm. layer is, is under here, but it's so deep, it's not worth, not worth mining. So, yeah, um, yeah, most of the coal seems to lie on the other side of Mount Capitar between around the Bogabri area. Yes. Um, Gunnedah. Yep. Narrabri. Yep. Gas. Um, yep. Seems to lie under our good black soils. Yeah. Um, but no, there's no mining in the Horton Valley. Um, it's all it's sort of been predominantly cattle um, for the last probably five decades. Yep. Um, since the 50s, or wool boom, I suppose there was a lot of my grandfather had sheep in the wool boom. Um, but then the, they sort of crashed through the end of the 60s there, and cattle sort of took um, took over, I guess, mm. in the valley. There's still uh, Kelly's have got quite a few sheep up on the up on the around the hillsides. Um, weathers, they're all sort of well, and sheer weathers. But um, in the 1970s, we mm-hmm. uh, mum and dad started a small piggery, and that's they probably paid our way through boarding school actually. Yeah, right. The pigs, <laughs> good old pigs. Bit of yeah, cash nice. flow, um, and they sort of. I've kept them going. It's fit into an operation pretty well. But you know, we can sort of cycle a cycle a compost back onto cropping pasture land. Crops, grains go back through the piggery, um, and then obviously there's a there's a spin-off there into the beef too. Better pastures, you know. Yep. Um, so I want to I want to get back to the compost because that's interesting. We we did have a bit of a look at that. Um, so tell me, you grew up here. We're like, let's go back to day yeah. day one. Baden, so, where 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 did little Baden turn up? In so the world? born in Inverell, um, Sapphire City. Yeah, mum, my grandparents had a had a farm at that stage at Tinga, between Tinga and Gyra. So Crystal Hill was the name of the place. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I was. Yeah, you know Kim Dean's over there. Kim Dean, Tim and Angus. Actually, I consulted with Kim. Oh yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, so we got a little regen ag group happening in the Horton Valley. Mm-hmm. So um, Shelley McDool, who's 
on the LLS and sort of she, she was talking to Kim and asked her whether she'd like to consult with a few people in the in the Regen Ag yep. Horton at Regen Ag group. So yep. Kim came and had, had a drive around with Kim for a few hours. And oh, good. Picked the reins a bit, yeah. Oh, good. Great, 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 great. Yeah. Just, uh, it was actually just after we purchased Pell so I was right. wanting to get her thoughts on a few a few things that were happening or not happening. What did she? For those who who didn't, who weren't on the tour this morning um, with Iron Maiden, which is everyone, um, that's a newly acquired. Well, you've had it for a few years now. It's got three, four years. Yeah, just just post the drought. Um, Palal came up for sale. It had been in the Mac family since probably eighteen forty or something. Mm. Um, it was one. It's one of the biggest places in the Horton Valley at one stage. So they they sure in, in the day that. Saw about eighty thousand sheep went through the twenty stand wool shed down there. It's incredible. Um, of course, like a lot of those big places over the years, got split up and various reasons. But um, they had they employed a hundred people at one stage there on that state on the on, on the farm. Palal, yeah. Oof, that's a. I mean, that's a big community, isn't it? Just it on is. One they place. had their own butcher shop and bakery, and, um, which was not not unusual back then. And Dera, which is was the next big place. Um, just across the creek, it, it basically went from the Palal boundary down to Gravesend. It was huge in its day too. Gravesend being which direction west? So directly north. North down, down the valley. Yeah. Ah, right. The Palal it used to run east and then almost back up to Piedmont, right. which is up near Barber. Yep. So wow. Uh, and I think it sort of pretty much followed Palal Creek, which. Shuts through the mount, mountain over on our eastern side here. All the shepherds would bring, they'd have mobs of say 2,000 sheep each, and they'd bring them in and they'd, for shearing, and then they all oh, this dip paddock, which is right next door to Linden, where Jen and I are. So um, we're looking over there, the one that's got the crop in it? Yeah, so that was divided up into like 50 acre paddocks, and the shepherds would bring in say 2,000 sheep each, and they would. They would water them in turns. They'd take them down into the river to water them at night and they'd just graduate closer and closer to the shed. Ah. And once they were shorn, they'd dip them and then they'd take them back out. So they had a dip. There's a dip somewhere. There was a dip set that up somewhere. Whole, that whole area there was called the dip paddock. So there's an actual old dip There's an old dip there. there. Wow. Um, they'd have yeah. been using some pretty nasty things back then. Oh, I guess oh, back then. Been. What would they have been using? Probably arsenic. arsenic. Yeah. yeah. Arsenic was the flavour of the month at the time, I think. It's probably all they had. Yeah. Um, I guess it was a bit it was a bit before all those other ones, Dildren and Diazanon. Dildren came in after the arsenic, I think, yeah. Um oh, pretty nasty, weren't they? They're all bad. <laughs> um so so shepherds, so so whilst the so the shepherds were working they're one of the hundreds of, of 100 employees were shepherds, some of them, and they each had their own flock. Yeah. And they would literally shepherd them through here, there and everywhere and then be responsible for everything about them. Would they – Would they? where were they? Were they living in bloody little hoochie somewhere oh, or they'd, swag they'd it? They'd or? Have, have the swag. They'd probably, probably a couple of bits of corrugated iron up against a tree. <laughs> really? It would be fairly, fairly – Rank living conditions, I would say, but that's that's the way it was. Um, and was do you know if like the state of fencing? At I mean, yeah, as I mean, because now we put them in a paddock and we go right. The, the shepherds yeah. are the fences. 
Yep. You know, was that because there was limited well, fencing they, and they keep them in a you know in an area? They would have their own little little area that they'd get gravitate back out to. A lot of it would not have been fenced early on. Not if it's as not if it's as goes as as east or as, yeah. as expansive as you were saying. So they would they would have their own little valley, little little, you know, little yeah, area. Yeah, um, that's there. Be, they, they would have thought it would be easy to look after two thousand sheep and try and. I guess they had the dogs. Yeah. Um, and they get. I guess that you know, with humans around them the whole time, there's some rapport. I guess with the sheep and. All those sort of good shepherding kind of things yeah, come into play. Don't they, they get to know. They get to know every individual in that mob very well. I'd say. Wouldn't they? They know which ones are the rogues, which ones yeah. are going to. Well, the rogues that end up in the in the pot. <laughs> that'd, <laughs> Most that'd be. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to kill them. Yeah. I'll give them through the digestion when they came through. That's that <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Barter them with their boss's sheep. Yeah. Um, oh, it's fascinating. But as a, a twenty stand wall shed, so they, they used to, um, in its day, was a, was a in this area was a pretty big wool shed. So, um, so I guess it's a, it is a real indication. Eighty thousand sheep. I think it was, I think was, the original Palau place was one hundred eighty thousand acres. Wow. So, um, and so we've just had a look at the homestead. Beautiful old brick homestead there. Yeah, all the, all the bricks were made on the place, so they were um, old red brick. There was a there was a brickworks up along Palau Creek, mm-hmm. um, so all locally made. And there was a few houses that were built around the same time by the same builder. Uh, Gunamar is one, which is up north of Warialda. All the architecture is almost exactly the same, and the bricks and the way the bricks were laid. Um, so obviously the same builder, and I believe he came from Moree, the builder. But um, yeah, and there's another one. Uh, Munros have east of east of Bingra, up the up the Gwaita River, same same vintage. Yeah right. Yeah. Oh Sinclair yeah. Munro. Um, Ronald. Ronald and Jane Munro. Oh right. Yeah. Which would be cousins. Be cousins. Yeah 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 for sure. Yeah. So yeah, they're beautiful old houses, and they're. As we're talking about before, I think they'll be they'll be still standing in two hundred oh. years' time, and I, I would totally. imagine a lot of the kit homes they're building now, will, they might have forty or fifty years in them. That's it. Mm. This big one. You were saying when I got here, Baden, you were saying you know a bit of dry feet around and lightning strike. I think I don't, don't know where that hit. Fairway over there. I didn't count how many seconds it was between the yeah, the yeah. lightning and the thunder, but. Um, I think we're reasonably safe given the couple of mils of rain you've had. Yeah, thank you for bringing that too. Well, look, I, yeah, as I said, I was having a chat with a big guy on the way in. I said, "Look, I reckon oh, it looks a bit, it looks a bit tad, <laughs> tad dry here. I'll see what I can, I can bring with me." Yeah, you surely can't. Stay <laughs> <for the> <laughs> no, I can't. I have to get going. But no, it was, it was, <laughs> that was great, mate. And thank you so much for that chat. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, I better go. Take the run with me. Um, no, that's fascinating. I love – I've just finished reading oh, – we're so not on where I was, was meant to be right now in terms of our conversation, but it doesn't matter. I've just finished reading a book called um, Kings and Grass Castles yep. by Mary Durack. Um, it is fascinating, and I ask about the shepherds because they were essentially <clears> – <throat> they had sheep up at um, – in the Cooper's Creek area. They pioneered that area. 
and they had they started with cattle and they brought sheep in and then <clears throat> then they went and drove a heap of cattle from there across up into the Kimberleys and you know opened up a lot of that country. But not dissimilar thing. <clears throat> but I mean, they went across the whole country with these cattle. But in terms of shepherding and doing the night shift, and and then there were stampedes, and then there was there was you know quite a few indigenous confrontations, and it was just fascinating the life that yeah. they led, you know. And and that was in the eighteen seventies, eighties, and nineties. It's sort of the period of the book, <clears throat> and um, it just makes you appreciate really what. What luxuries do we have now, yeah. you know? They were wild times. They were hard times. Um, I just finished reading a book um, called Too Young to Hold a Gun uh, by Peter Spencer, and it was about a young fellow by the name of Will Monkton who rode with Thunderbolt, the bush ranger. Oh, right. And um, all their escapades. He was only 13, this young Monkton fellow, and he has got a lot of family still in Bingra area. Yep. And one of his relations... Um, one of this Will Monkton's sisters actually came with a Chinese cook that she'd married to Palau and was cooking there and died there. So he, he came into Palau following his his ancestry basically and trying to trying to work out, you know, how where she was buried and was there a gravestone there's no gravestone there. Um, there's a couple of gravestones on the hill there but um, so wow. he was tracing his history and he was going through all the, you know, the time, those 1860s, 50s, 60s, 70s period when Thunderbolt was in this area. He actually held up my grandfather up at Yulham, original place up up here. He, he really? walked in and um, held, him, held him up and made in him the, sign. In a homestead? Yeah, walked in and made him sign a cheque, held a gun to him, and, really? um, <clears throat> which he did. <laughs> when was that? When what? When what? When what time was that? Uh, that would have been eighteen sixties. Oh. Um, so, so he was. It was either Chappie Thunderbolt. He was at Walker there. He oh, got got not got are you Walker. Is that um, yeah, not a Walker? Around no, Urala, 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 that's the Urala one. Thunderbolt's Rock. Yeah. Yep. So he used to get around a bit. He, he was all through this Nandy Wall range. He used to. Um, is to anywhere between Gunnaganu Station, pretty much, and Yetman, and all through the Tablelands in between, and all through the Nandy Wall Range, which runs through here. So that was his play area. It's a fair, it's a fair stretch of country between Yetman and Gunnaganu, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. To cover. He, he used to steal thoroughbred horses, the, the best thoroughbred horses he could find from landholders. Yeah. He had a really good eye for uh, top thoroughbred horses, and that's how he got kept. He kept away from the troopers. Because he cause was he on good, horses. fast horses. Yep. Is that right? So, yeah. Sneaky. She was hard, hard living with hard times, you know, the way he, the way he lived. Oh, well, he would have been, he, he wouldn't have even had tin because he would have had a bit of canvas. Yeah. You might put your socks on there, I think, right. Baden, just in case. That wind might just come up. Just pop it over there. And, I don't know. Fold the back on itself. So that should be fine. One might think that makes it muffled, but it doesn't somehow. I don't know how it works, but it'd still be fine. Hopefully that's not muffled. It's a pretty <laughs> thick shock, that one. Um, so tell me, back to, you are born in Inverell. Yeah, so born in Inverell. Um, attended the mighty Horton Public School. Yeah. Um, which had, a, I think, at its peak, had about 30 kids. Um, 
it closed down in uh, early 70s. Um, then I, I went to Cranbrook in Sydney, boarding school for six years. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I'm a king's boy, so I have to give you. I have to give you shit about that. Gee, it, looks, it looks amazing. Then, like the whole what they've done oh, without going to that, but amazing. it is. It's, it's incredible facilities there now. Yeah. I don't think borders. Like when I was down there, ninety percent of the borders were all country blokes. Yes, um, and now I think there's only really they wouldn't have many forty or fifty borders left, and um, most of them are sort of I think Asian. Internationals. Internationals, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is a bit sad, but anyway, it's the way they're going. Co ed too, and um, and obviously catering for all the local um, local eastern suburbs kids as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. No, in, incredible. Yes, they did your time down there, did your hard hard, yeah, hard labour there? It uh, did a time down there and I, I, whilst I enjoyed it I sort of got to realise that the city really wasn't for me at that point, I reckon. Um and just before we go there, so you you grew up where was where was the home you grew up in? So um, up at Yungai, which is a, the place up the river here towards Horton. Right. My young fella Will and his uh, fiance Georgie are up up there, and dad's dad's up there in his house still. Right. So he commutes between Binger and and house on the farm up there. Yep. Um, so we had a, we had an unreal. Um, childhood, like we, it was, we were always out there, you know, mucking around with cricket, bat, and ball in the yard. And my sport was always, for me, was always the pinnacle. I, you know, I was never hugely scholastic, but um, I just loved. I, I threw myself into sports, cricket, um, and, and in those days, Horton, there was no rugby union or league, so it was soccer. So oh, yeah. we, had, we had our little Horton soccer side. We go into bad and get smashed every uh, oh, yeah. so often. But um, <laughs> what about uh, polo? Is it polo up here? Um, no, no, not not in the not in the valley. There's a, no. you know, I think um, it's mates of mine down around Crindai, uh, that area. There's pretty big. Bit polo more there. that, more eat. I was never a horseman either, so I was I was always motorbikes. Yep. Um, uh, Dad used to ride horses at school, get, get to Horton all the time. Um, yeah, but I was never, I never got into the horses. Um, then Cranbrook came along, went down to, we went to Cranbrook there, we sort of, I got out of the soccer, started playing rugby union. You get either, in our boarding house, you get either play soccer, um, and get your head beaten in in the boarding house for seven days a week, or you could go out and play <laughs> rugby union for an hour and get your head beaten in on the football field for an hour. So, it was a no-brainer. And, 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 well, you get your head beaten because you were playing soccer. Like that, that yeah, was the thing, was, was it? Yeah, soccer wasn't. There wasn't 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 it? No, no, that's right. Which was good because when, when I eventually did come home, I played a lot of rugby union for Barber then, so that was that was good. Um, but. Yes, uh, I've just passed the HSC, but that's about as yeah. <laughs> I thrived. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, came came home um, for a year, and then uh, went to Orange Ag for two years. Yep, um, did farm management course down there. Um, did a bit of a few weeks of, down your way, but 
on the Oh, you said that. That's right. Chappie, Chappie Reed's place yep. down there. Yep. On, on the Barrel River. Burrow uh, River. Burrow River. Burrow, yeah. Um, had a... Did a, well, you know, a little bit of drenching. Mastering cattle down there. Poisoning rabbits. 10, oh, yeah. With 1080. Oh, yeah. 1080, so, that 1080. Yeah, yeah, right. Little barrel behind a tractor. Oh. So that was... Were they pellets down no, the burrows? carrots. They were carrots. Oh, they right. Chopped up carrots. So they had to... Um, you'd feed the carrots out for three three days. Just, just plain? Yes. And, and then, then you'd give them the one with the, with, the, with the... Wow. Um, had a little bit of a mishap with their tractor, actually. But they um, parked it up, up the hill, probably six or 700 metres up off the river flat. And it was a old... Fordson or something like that. Anyway, pulled the handbrake on, but you needed about three or four hands to pull the handbrake. Oh, don't on. get it to work. Oh no, <laughs> it went down the hill. <laughs> anyway, I was were you on there. it? Yeah, no, it was, it was parked there. We left it there. Mister Reed picked me up. I was happy. Oh and, uh, no. Next day, we went back up to get the tractor, and it wasn't there. And it wound its way back down through the fence a couple of times and rested down on the on the barrel. Burrow River flat. So had it tumbled or it had rolled itself? No, it just just reeled, like weaved its way down. Oh, that's um, lucky. Because some of that country that I'm thinking of there is there's some there's some steep, steep sections mm. there. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Anyway, the tractors lived to see another day. <laughs> or the retentioning of the buck break. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, yeah, so we, I guess, during Jag, we learnt a lot of um, what. Today we would see as, as bad habits. You know, we came out of there um, with a few things in our toolbox that today you wouldn't even have in your toolbox at all. I don't know what I'm talking about it before. Urea was one of them. Um, so we, and you know, Group B herbicides started becoming a thing like your gleans and all that sort of thing. So we left, left Orange and came back home again and we started started farming and we were getting amazing yields you know like we won a couple of um, northern slopes wheat competitions three tonne of the acre sort of wheat crops so so you have having been to orange ag and learned some stuff you took you you applied that at home mm. like you know threw on the urea and the this yep. and that and you, you there was a there was a response yep yeah massive, massive. and so were you were going oh this this is the way to go this works and it and it worked for uh, probably Probably ten years, twelve years. Um, so we were pre pre planting urea, probably a hundred, say a hundred, hundred twenty kilos of, of urea pre plant before a wheat crop. Just um, you just broad acre, like like broad spreading. Acre, yep. And so then you go with in the, with a gyral, pre planted, direct direct drilled it in basically. Oh, direct, okay. And weed at the same time. Roundup had was just starting to become a thing. Um, so we we using started using Roundup. We were sort of went to minimum till um, in through the through the early nineties. There we were still getting really good yields. Um, rotating with Lucent too, so Lucent was putting huge amounts of N in the ground as well. Um, on short on short rotations. Yeah, so Lucent would be five six years, okay. and then and then back to to wheat barley. Um, 
but the country, you could see it, is starting to get harder, starting to get tired. Yields plateaued, sort of mid, mid-90s there, I reckon. So the yields plateaued out, and I was started to scratch my head, and I said, look, what are, we, what are we achieving here? What are we doing? I was sort of starting to lose heart with, with uh, agriculture in general. <laughs> I just... I said, we can't keep doing this, you know. Um, we'd been trained to do it that way. Um, and I think a lot of the big chemical companies were were sponsoring universities and colleges and still are now. Um, anyway, at the end of, towards the end of the 90s there, um, 99, probably early 2000s, we went to direct drill. So we, prior to that, we had no... We had no points that we could do it with, like physically dig our harder ground. So all the blokes out west in the black soils were, were using discs and this sort of thing into this in their softer self-mulching soils. But here we hadn't. It was only early two thousands that we actually were able to get hold of these points, these little narrow two-inch right. spear points yeah. that we could put on our trash worker. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, you John, you John Deere trash, trash worker, worker. Yeah, yeah, twenty-seven run. Yep, that's yeah. the one. <laughs> yeah, so I, I got one. <laughs> now twenty-one. We converted it to a direct drill machine with a tail yes. behind air seeder. Yep. Um, and our country slowly got softer again. It, you know, you could, you could feel like we were coming back down through the gears, and our tractor, the country was starting to respond just from keeping more. Um, humus on top, like, like stubbles and things on top, rather than rather than dragging these these wide points across our country all the time, which we've been doing for years, and, and turning up our soda layer underneath. Big dis- big disturbances. Yep. <clears throat> um, yeah. Right. So you so scar- you a- scar- were you ploughing with this, or did you you scarifying, or like you, there was a lot of whatever you were using was a lot of disturbance. Yeah, we were, we were going over back in. 70s, 80s, we were going over our country with the, with our wide sweep points on a trash worker five times. Jeez. Before before the advent of Roundup. Yeah. So we you know, we were doing And that was for that was for weed control? That was weed control. Yeah. Um, and this country it's got a quite a, a sodic layer under underneath. And if you if you bring that it's like you know, when you push a contour bank, that that sodic stuff comes up on top, and the contour bank sheds water. Yes, right, yeah. Well, it's the same, you know. Dragging, we're dragging these heavy machines across the country in this, this shallow country, and we're dragging that sodic stuff Mixing on top. Yeah. And it started to shed water, and you know. So the direct drills stopped all that. It slowed, and it slowed, slowed our carbon depletion down, I guess. Um, but it's, we were still depleting it. And, and even now, I'm talking to soil, certain soil scientists, they're saying we can't, put, we can't yet put carbon into our soils um, farming, cropping it. Very challenging. Um, having said that, there's a, there's a crew called um, Lone Bio, who I think based oh. in Dubbo. Have you heard of them? Yeah, Mick Wettenhall and Guy Webb. Um, I'm going to have a meeting with them because they... They say that they can, with, with barley, canola, and sorghum, yeah. they can actually, using a, so it must be a fungal tre- seed treatment, and put their 
uh, put carbon back in there, just cropping in the cropping system. And if that's the case, mm. if that's right, well, you know, I think that'll change. That'll get big game changer. Well, that's an interesting story, which I don't know all the details, but I've interviewed Mick for the podcast a couple of years ago, and very interesting story of of acquiring, I guess you'd say, acquiring the rights, or certainly getting the hands on, you know, the to be able to use and isolate the the, the fungi that that a, a chappy, you know, academic researcher did years ago, but no one took much interest because he was getting some amazing results on. How this fungi was 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 <clears throat> I, was accelerating the sequestration of carbon in soil somehow, and I don't know all the science behind it, but it's fascinating. And they've they raised a lot of money for research, and they've got not for profit sort of side and a and a and a, a for profit side. And yeah, no, that, that'll be interesting to to use that because yeah. that I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Yeah, I think, um, and I think we're most of our soils are bacteria dominant. If we can get more fungi. Yes. Well, I guess this has all been gra- like what we're looking at here, where you're doing your cropping, or most people do their cropping. It's it's you know it's it's grass based, it's pasture based, and so no doubt there's a lot of bacteria, you mm. know, dominant kind of kind of thing. <clears throat> and dare I say, out of balance, you know, what it, what it, what is the perfect balance? I don't know, but I think that's probably probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah, talking to one of their agronomists that. Line bio that they're going to try and develop uh, fungal seed treatments for pastures as well. So yeah, that'd be smart. Yeah. Um, so just back to <coughs> so when you're a boy running around doing your stuff, not riding horses and riding motorbikes and enjoying farming playground, um, and then doing uni and taking bringing back what you learned here, how did your father take that you you blokes coming all you smarty pants has been at university bringing this stuff back? Was it very different to what he'd been doing anyway? Was it was he challenged by by your no raising your ideas? I was very lucky to have um, Dad Arthur was the father because he he was used to let me take the rein a fair bit you know and, um, and I had a lot of friends that not so lucky. You know, their fathers would stand over with a whip and they wanted to try and change or do something. And um, their father was so, so dominant that and the place ended up going out the back door. But uh, no, Dad was, was always sort of, uh, you know, he was, he was always one to ask questions too, you know. Like, um, where are we heading? What are we, what, why are we going this way? You could see, you could see quite often if he didn't, um, agree if I planted the seed <laughs> and he thought about it for a little while he you know he, he could see the, the advantages and, and let me run with it and you know it's all, it's all about the, the language and the approach isn't it yeah yeah um, and I and I was sort of um, made a lot of mistakes um, but that's how we learn so and I, I sort of try and do it with will and Daniel too who are Decided to come back home now too, and um, you got to you got to let let them run with their ideas, you know, um, and guide them guide them a little bit, but um, they've got to be allowed to make mistakes too. Well, that's <clears throat> that's very that's very good, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, that's a that's a very endearing 
quality as a father or a mother or anyone with children or any even a work situation, employee, employer, because that's where they're going to learn. Yeah. <clears throat> and as long as you don't say, I told you so, <laughs> then it kind of, you know, it'll settle in there and, and, and that's often the best way to learn, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Have they, have they, just while we're on the boys, have they, have they, did they go to uni? Did they have they come back with crazy, even crazier ideas than you, and challenged you well, with things? I, th- I think they they both went to Armidale Uni, did ag science oh, yeah. type degrees. What, yeah. co- what college are they? Yeah. Um, so they were at Albies. Oh yeah, good um, good choppers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great institution, that one. Yeah. I was in Rob, so we were always at each other. We were the stroppers and they were the choppers. Classic. Um, oh, what's happened here? Adam. Oh, bloody hell. Not now. I checked. Sorry, I checked that. I checked that thing. Not now. Oh, what a pain in the butt. Have you got. Have you got. Have you got storage on your phone? You reckon? <laughs> uh, I think I do. Because I checked my phone on the way here and it said I had plenty of storage on my phone. That's a bloody nuisance. Um, if I record, if I see if I can record on your phone, yep. we'll work out how to get it off. Because my Michelle can get in touch and try and work it out. Or one of your yeah, boys would be smart enough. Yeah, well, I certainly wouldn't be, but Jim <laughs> might have some idea, and the boys definitely would have an idea. Oh, right. Well, I tell you, I reckon. How do you check how much stuff? Oh, hang on. <laughs> Bear with me, everyone. We're just going to have a little quick look here. Settings, you go to um, general, and you go to phone storage. Oh, yeah. 45 of 64. Got, got 10 gigabytes. Yeah. 20 gigabytes. Yeah, that's right. So is that cool? If we rig if we rig yours up. Now, that means that that's not recording either. So what we'll do, we'll slip that out. That's on still on. Yeah. On the airplane? Airplane. Okay, we'll pop that off there. Oh. thought I had that bloody covered too. And we'll plug yours in. Just pop it onto, um, she's on the airplane. Looks like it. Yep, that's it. Yep, so actually, yep. Oh, you could <coughs> stay on the airplane, does it? No, no, yep, yeah, stay on the airplane. We'll pop that on there. We'll pop that on. Um, where's your buddy? Oh, I can't, this is a. Here he is. Um, that one. Video. Turn it around. Look at that. Beautiful. It's a bit fuzzy, but that'll do. That's better. Sorry about that. There we are. We're underway again now. No worries. Where, where, where were we? The boy, you're saying the boys were going yeah, to... so they went, they went, they did uh, ag science mm. uh, up there. And very science-based course, that very, yeah. Actually, Will's was called Agri-Foods. It was, it was oh, yeah. um, a little bit different, but it basically similar units. Um what astounded me, like the boys, like at that point in time, when the boys were up, I was starting to get into this um, regenerative stuff a, a bit, and they could see. I was, first thing I asked Daniel when he got back, I said, how much um, biological agriculture did you do up there? You know, can you show me your notes? And anyway, <laughs> one paragraph. That was all, hmm. you know, in an ag science degree, I'm going, 
Three, yeah. three years, Zach Science? Three years. Three years, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, and I, I don't know whether whether they've gone down that path yet. I know... Um, I think there's one university, you know, what's it called? Lismore. Southern Cross. Yeah, Southern Cross, Southern yeah. Cross. yeah. They've got their rural, rural, rural. So I think, I think yeah. it's um, got uh, regenerative units there now, so which is good to see. Um, yeah, it's a science degree majoring in regenerative ag. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, but the boys sort of could see what what we were trying to do, get away from as much as possible, chemi- the chemicals, chemical ag, um, the chemical age, I suppose. Yep. Um, and try and move more into regenerative, focusing on our soils a bit more. Um, and it's a, it's just such an interesting, it's just such an interesting sphere. It, we don't know anything about it yet. <laughs> we're we're learning still. Um, this, um, what happens under the ground with you know fungi and. Um, Bacteria and the interrelationship between plants and how they talk to one another and whatnot—we know nothing uh, about it yet. Um, and I just—I've just seen a since we've been going down that path, we've just seen improvement improvements in our country from where we were, or when I came back out of Orange Ag. Anyway, there's some massive improvements in the, in the country, and it takes five or six years. That's, you can't—you can't. There's no big upfront. Oh wow! Look at that. Yeah. You know, uh, <coughs> immediate. Yeah. Immediate effect. Um, it's not like we, you know, you can go and put two hundred kilos of urea on a crop and all of a sudden goes dark green. Um, biological ag- agriculture is, is a slow. It's more mm. slow. It's a slower thing. Um, yeah. To look at, um, probably unimpressive, but. Then all of a sudden, after about five years, you start seeing soil start to cycle, your plants starting to um, cycle. We have we look at weeds now as a positive thing, probably rather than negative. Like rather than try and go and torch everything, try and try and get a pretty looking um, oats crop or whatever. Right no, in the front paddock, there. Yeah. Make sure it's got no bloody weeds, no thistles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, we're sort of asking ourselves, why are those weeds growing there? What's what's going on that soil? Um, they're they're more of a um, an indicator of what's going on in the soil rather than trying to get a pretty pretty pasture or crop growing there. The weeds can tell you a lot. Yeah. Um, so, and cattle will do a lot better um, on a on a dirty pasture. Quite often, then they're really clean. They won't scour. They'll t- they'll nibble leaves from different weeds. They're getting, um, you know, different different uh, minerals from different weeds, so that their their guts are healthier. Um, it's just you've got to change your mindset. Well, it's interesting you say dirty. So in, in you know, and, and and in that context, <laughs> the word dirty is it's got weeds. It's got it's got everything in it. It's got this. It's got that. As opposed to, I imagine when you were um, your loosen paddocks when you were in loosen, you'd probably try and keep them pretty clean, right? So loosen, no, 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 no grasses. No, we don't. Oh, we, we B- used back, to. back then. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, like like you wouldn't want yeah. the neighbours seeing any grass in your loosen paddock. Yeah. So you know, you'd spray barley grass out of it, or yes. grass out yep. of it, or something. Yeah, get a cleaner stand. Well, yeah. Um, 
or, or, or put broadleaf sprays in there and concoctions oh. to try and get some of the other broadleaf weeds out, which would end up just wiping out some of your – you'd get a, attrition of your loosen anyway, yeah. so you're kind of defeating the purpose. That's right. All the, all the brews, 2,4-D, bees and diorals, mm. and, you know, we'd go over all our country to take out yeah. thistles. Um, MCPA. Yep. Um, these days we'll use that in a crop. Um, and even now we're sort of starting to toy with the idea of growing two crops together, together. Like rather than a mono, a mono crop, next year we're going to try uh, canola and faber beans together. Yep. Um, just to get that diversity of root systems back in the ground. Um, there's been a few blokes try it, and they're getting yields. Um, Equivalent to as if they grew those crops apart. So the, wow. the, the canola and faber beans are getting the same yields as if they were growing them separately. Wow, and so the faber beans are supplying nitrogen to the canola mm-hmm. and there's yeah. deep deep tap roots of the canola, so they're, they're all combining to do something something well. And can you harvest them? Yeah, so like the faber beans be lower? Together and all right. And we just purchased a little... Seed cleaner the other day, so it's just a matter of running across the seed cleaner, separating them. So then, because in canola, traditionally, and I guess you probably used to do it up here, or do like windrow first and then wait and then harvest, so you, there's no windrowing? We just direct hair, we've always direct hair to do oh, okay. canola. Yeah, yeah right. So, um, so you let it sit on there, you, you let it stand for a little bit longer, let yeah. it dry as is, and then just whip it. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, yeah, we haven't, haven't got the Michelle, we haven't got the windrower. There's blokes around with the windrowers, but we haven't got the, um, the pick-up pick heads for the for the headers. Well, my cousin does our contract harvesting, right. so he hasn't got that gear. But so we just run with um, open open front, just direct head. Mm. Um, yeah, so all that all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, back back to the like the weeds thing. Um, Horton. Horton Valley cattle have always claimed a premium in the in the yards because they they dress they dress better than a lot of other cattle in other from other areas. Why is that? So, well, I think it's I think it's the weeds thing. The I diversity think, of, of diet, about, and we've, even when we had oats and oats crop that we'd sprayed all the weeds out of that oats crop. There's probably a gully running through it with you know mm. weeds in it, and if you see the way they they graze cattle, they, they're always you know they'll go to the oats and they'll come out and have a pick pick around along the gully's edge, bit of um, fibre, bit of old grass, bit of you know bit of clover, bit of a weed. Um, and the Horton Valley is it's got every weed known to man in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which 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 through a change of attitude has become yeah, a real a plus, real plus. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Um, so what would your neighbours think about that? That conversation we're just having about weeds being, you know, yeah, useful well, and, and well, a, a lot of them are in in this regen ag group. So okay. Jason Mack over here, I, I talk about it all the time. It's um, to the point where St John's Wort. We will will spray St John's Wort. Um, Jason Mack discovered. A few years ago, he put some Canterbury Master Master Ten with the graze on that he was spraying the wort with, so that whatever that wort is trying to bring up out of the soil, he thought, well, 
fleet with some um, Caterby Master 10, which has got 10 minerals in it. Put it out with the graze on. Next year, that that seed from the St John's Wort may not like that environment because it's got it's got all those minerals in it. So he put some in a boom spray and he did a paddock with it. And the following year, it went from nearly blanket um, St John's Wort back to spots brown the old one. Well, you you by doing that, you've made that weed redundant. Yeah. Doesn't need to be there anymore because right. you, you've 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 put on the minerals or the elements or the whatever that it was trying to it yep. was trying to accumulate. Yep. Yeah. Right. And I've seen it work a little bit with um, blue heliotrope too. Similar thing. So Do you know what it's trying to accumulate? Uh, I know it's full of copper. Ah. And this country can be low in copper. Yeah. So that's why it's. It's there, but it loves a bare ground, loves leached, sandy river country too. Um, so this leaching thing in our environment, you know, if you look, if you look at uh, it's a bit the Peter Andrews sort of mentality thing, you know, like our ridges are, is always leaching, seems to be leaching away from our ridge country. Um, quite often you'll get weeds growing up in that country trying to bring up whatever mineral I can. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a flat top hill just down the valley here and it's no trees on it at all at the top and it's just a mat of St John's wort. Um, so whatever St John's wort's trying to bring up, it's trying to replace probably what bird droppings and cattle, uh, you know what I mean? Cattle yeah, right. On top of that hill because yep. there's no trees there. There's no circulation of minerals no. or yeah, anything there. Yeah. yeah, that's a good observation. And I found that with compost. Uh, a piggery compost. You can go into a paddock and, and put compost on a bare, bare hill. Not very much, just a light mm. scattering of it. And within two or three years, it'll have completely grassed up. Well, it, it is like a fertility reservoir there. Yeah. Do you put seed, when you throw, throw your compost out, do you put seed in there as well? I brought haven't done seed. that yet, but there's, there's yeah, it's, it's an option, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we've done that with Coxfoot and a few things before. Yeah. Yeah, just a bit of a thing to mix it up if you got to. Depends on how you, <clears throat> how you, what year you got to sort of put it from the pile into the spreader and you know that sort of thing. You can, it, it can be done because yeah. yeah. Mm. But um, do you need more diversity here? I imagine. I, mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't want more diversity. Oh, I think yeah, I think everyone, everyone uh, needs more diversity. I think one thing we do have in this valley is. Massive amounts of bird life. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, you hear a few at the moment. What are those um, over there? In that is that an ironbark there? That one, dark that's one. That's narrow leaf ironbark. Yeah, um, flowering, flowering. So we get some. We actually get Parrots. lorikeets come into there sometimes. Oh, yeah. um, crimson wings come into it. Not quite sure what those ones are. There's yeah, a bit maybe. about cockies, yeah. kookaburras before. Kookaburras, we've got every parrot known to man. We 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 rarely grow sorghum. I mean, sorghum's not that good for the country, anyways. But the times we have grown it, the few times we have grown it, it just got decimated. We've got just about every parrot in Australia. <laughs> <you reckon. laughs> 
They all come to the Horton Valley League. To eat sorghum. Just back to the, um, I guess, the, so you were saying you were lucky your father was kind of quite open to you experimenting, changing things. Um, and then, and you did. Was he pleased with the results? Did he go? Did he? Was that something that he acknowledged that there was, or or not? Or yeah, what, what well, you know, as I said, when we coming back out of ag college there at the age of I was twenty one or two or something, and um, started using the arrays, we started winning wig competition. Dad thought it was great. Right. Well. <laughs> 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 um, you know, I, I suppose we were doing, we we're trying to do it right, but we were doing wrong. <laughs> Looking back, you know, uh, we had been trained. We'd been trained to to do it that way. It worked for a little while, but in our light soils here, couldn't do it for too long. So we started burning carbon. Little did we know that at the time, but so now we're at a point where we're trying to go the other way. Take get carbon back in there you know, by whatever means possible. And do you, um, are you measuring that? Do you, do you do soil testing? You're saying you do a lot of leaf testing, but are you doing soil testing? Soil do you know, tests. Do you know where your carbon's up to? Yeah, it's about 1.5% right. most of our soil tests. Um, Have you seen an increase over a period of time? Is it, you know, is it sort of... Haven't, haven't done a lot of soil testing in our subtropical grass paddocks, which I think would surely be starting to show increases in carbon content in the last seven, eight, nine years that we've been we've had those deep rooted perennials in some of our lighter country countries. We probably need to do that. Um, as far as uh, benchmarking our carbon, uh, I just don't know where where to go in that space yet. I just just I think there's a lot of people in the in the hierarchy that are benefiting rather than the farmer at this point. But, um, so I just don't... We've got to, we've got to investigate that, that carbon sequestration and, and, you know, the payment side of it, but I just want to get... I just think uh, we need to, but through better grazing techniques, um, more subdivision, using perennial grasses, deep-rooted perennial grasses... If we can do that and do it right, then we're on we're on the right track, I reckon. It's a good point that you know. I think it's healthy to look at the carbon situation and research and get you know, sort of keep abreast of what's going on. Um, I think the trap can be uh, making it the focus, you know, because you might get a result, but you know. As you're saying, Baden, by getting your grazing management right, or you know, increasing biodiversity and all the things you're doing, the result will be increasing in carbon. Mm. I suspect, you know, and kind of, so that's <clears throat> so. Whilst you're doing good things for the environment, less chemical, you know, better water infiltration, um, better, better produce, better, better, better quality, you know, stuff you're producing, whether that be grass or beef or pigs or whatever, um, that's you as a farmer's job at the end of the day. And if you can increase carbon and then leverage that, well, that's that's great too, you know, yeah. if, if that's where you, where you want to take it. And it comes down, you know, 
comes down to producing, as you as you know, high high integrity food. We've got a you know we've got so much seems more and more disease, cancers, and this sort of thing in the human population now. And you can't tell me a lot of it's because you know obviously there's a lot of bad food out there, but but the produce coming off farms compared to what um, when agriculture, you know, farming first started back in the 30s, 20s, you know, the, the produce then would have been way better on a, on a nutrient analysis. Um, having said that, we've just leaf tested a lot of our crops and they're pretty balanced, they're, mm-hmm. you know. So if the, if the crops and the pastures are, are balanced, then you'd have to think that the beef and the pork, the grain that's going back into the piggery, um, is good quality, well well balanced, um, and hopefully that you know that transfers into our beef and pork. Well, it's not a coincidence that you know what we eat as humans, you know, impacts how we think and how we feel and how we operate and behave. Really, I mean, you know, pigs and cattle and sheep they're all they're all mammals too you know so and, and you don't have to be a mammal for it to, for that to, to be true but you know we're great examples of um uh you know the better the food that we eat the more diverse and the more nutrient dense and the less of the chemical load in it the better we are or, or yeah in every facet you can pick and you're absolutely right cattle the same thing which leads me to highland beef who um you have been a a farming client, member of their team for a few years now? Yeah, it'd be two and a half years, I think. Uh, straight after the the drought, 2020, Russell Smythe, a uh, local agent in Bingra, came to me and said, oh, I might, might have an option if you want to uh, restock a bit more. Um, and so Murray... Richardson, Tony Spears came from Reading. Yep. Um, I looked at their model. Uh, seemed to be a pretty sound model. Did Jen make some? Uh, Jenny make some quiche for them, like did she did today? Did that, maybe that's <laughs> what got did. them over the line. That quiche. She did. She did. A cup of coffee. That was quiche, a secret. And then a beer afterwards. Oh right. Okay. What? <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, so they had a look around, sussed you out, you sussed them out. Uh, I had a long talk to Murray, you know, in regards to what we were trying to achieve here in the in the region space, mm. and yeah, it just it seemed to fit, you know. We we obviously needed more mouths. Um, it was lower, and obviously at that point in time, cattle market was starting to climb pretty quickly, and um, and so and we'd already purchased, you know, three hundred and sixty. Brahman heifers or something, so <clears throat> our our reserves were, were pretty much <laughs> yep. at a, at the bottom, and um, so and we and we just had an explosion of feed because the country is that much nitrogen in the country um, as a hangover from that that drought, it was just exploded. So um, anyway. We've been been with them ever since. It's very, it's a it's a good model, um, and and we're trying to produce that that clean, high high um, nutrient beef, you know, um, clean grass fed beef, um, which obviously America 
America uh, is clamouring for. Mm, so. Totally. And traceable too, you know, that's the all, other thing. Yeah, it's all traceable. Because um, over there there's not the, the, the beef is not very traceable. And um, I think that you're right, that's what they also like is the fact that it's there's integrity to it in through its through yeah. its traceability. That's right. Um, and obviously tracing it back to, to us. Yeah. So, you know. Um, but the the model is uh, is a great great model. I think at that point in time, like we needed more mouths because we just wanted to obviously rotate the country. It was there was there was a huge amount of biomass on it, and uh, so it worked in well for the yeah. operation and has done since. So. Have you sold any wieners <coughs> to to the boys as as it from here and just kept them? You know, like you, have you got the sort of cattle that that you could um, sell? Yeah, 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 we have. So we actually sold some um, some of our own Angus uh, Brangus um, cattle last year. Yearling, yearling. No, they would have been eighteen months old. And did they stay here? You you sold them and then they stayed here, or you sold them and then and, just, then, and then they, they actually sold them um, straight into. Into Highland beef into the abattoir. Oh right, okay, yeah. I'm with you. Right, right, right yeah. I'm with you. Right, 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 right. Okay, so, yeah. Um, so they've been doing doing a bit of that when they haven't quite got the numbers around. Them yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, right. So I've done a couple of loads like that. Mm-hmm. Mostly, um, mostly have been the ones they've purchased though. And they've 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 put on here. You've looked after. Yeah, generally here for around about. 12, 12 months, I suppose, mostly. Mm. Come in come in around that 280, 300 kilos, and turn them off anywhere between 500 and 650. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, so that that's basically... And, they, and they, I think they've sort of learned on the way through too. Some, some cattle have come in here and, you know, they, they will not ever fatten. Come out of Queensland and they're not know, doing big range Crossbred steers and I couldn't get any fat on them at all, but no. had to go. But I said they're sort of back more British content now. Yes, um, yeah, no, they change, change their specs, specs a little bit. And we were talking about um, challenges before. You know, just the um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, what what I think the boys do well is to juggle. You know, commodity prices they're buying stock for. Um, and that's you know, and you know what what what's the what's the situation for farms in terms of their, you know what what the market is asking them to pay for cattle, you know, and then they've got you know a changing season, you know, it was it, things are a bit pretty dry up north, and they've they've got a big range of you know I guess places to source from. Um, what what challenges do you see that 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 for, for them um, in you know, in juggling that sort of changing changing variables, I guess you know the the the, the markets, think, the season. I think the big challenge for Highland beef is probably going to if if we go into a a big drought like we went through in like 2019-20, and all the eastern eastern states go in together, um, it's probably going to be kill space. Mm. Um, because there'll be a lot of farmers trying to de-stock quickly. Um, 
I, I think that's the, probably the biggest challenge I can see in the model yeah. um, from where I sit. Um, Murray, Murray might have a different, Tony might have a different uh, look on that, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of, uh, like we deliberately didn't stock as hard this year because we've had three wet years in a row, which is highly unusual, so knowing that we'd probably have a drier than normal year, so we didn't we didn't go as hard. But mm. um, yeah, I think I think that will be one of the big big problems down the track. I, I, we might hopefully we won't get another drought like that in my lifetime. But mm. I think yeah. what the, what I was thinking of before was when we'll have, well maybe not as big a drought, but certainly you know drier spells. I think what then opens up the opportunity. In a very positive way for Highland Beef is that they represent, you know, if people have got limited capital at the end of a drought because um, they've used it up for, for, you know, conserving fodder or buying fodder or whatever they're doing, you know, I guess Highland Beef has a gives people the opportunity to get back in the market as you did in the last end of the last drought, where you might have been a bit tapped out yourself, but they were able to supply animals um, on the, you know. On the on the backside of a drought, oh, low low power mode. I oh, know we're right. It didn't <laughs> we've got all sorts of tech stuff going on here? Yeah, so they so whilst it might be challenging for them, uh, and it is, I guess, their, their role to juggle juggle the the you know the throughput. Um, what they do, what that does represent, is an opportunity for for restocking without people putting up the capital. And find the capital. You know they can put some aside to buy their own animals, but if they want to, if that's not going to be enough to sort of stock their place, they can get Holland beef mouths on. Um, and there's not that risk of um, price fluctuation at the other end, or getting in in the first place. You know they're not they're not hampered by well, I, I run out of money, but I've got a heap of grass. Yeah. Which you you know which which you know you'd argue you might get wasted. Yeah, definitely. Without that, well, it's definitely lower risk for the farm. Farmer, so mm. he's taking all that price risk out, um, and they've um, they've just up their up their price to the farmer too. To uh, yeah. any cattle going onto places now is two dollars two dollars a kilo, which is which is very good. And I guess with the inflationary pressures at the moment, that probably needed to happen a little bit too. Um, <laughs> Well, I think it was, a, it was, a, it was a, probably a, the right response to, to yeah. everything that's going on, and, yeah. and 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 good, good that it has. It has, it was was good. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's certainly as a, from a farmer's perspective anyway, it's certainly taken the risk risk out of the out of the equation. And how do you run yours? I mean, I guess it's the same management. It's it's it's, it's cattle in your landscape. Uh, and you're running them separately. Uh, yeah, we we try and run them separately uh, as much as possible. Um, there's there's times when we might have we might need a paddock to to finish some of ours, so we'll, we'll put put a few of ours with them. Yeah, uh, but that's about the only time. Yeah. Otherwise, like being young, growing stock, Linden, we're pretty much set up for for fattening on mm. Linden. So we'll, with Palal just coming online there now, we're sort of We've been growing them out down there, and when they're sort of getting close to to the marketing stage, we'll bring them up here and finish them. Yep. So that's the way it's working at the moment. Yep. Um, as Palal 
soils improve, um, there's probably scope to bring a few more on because I do have some Brahmin cows down there on the course on the on the native stuff. But as as these pastures start to improve and the soil starts cycling properly and parallel, we'll we'll, we'll probably up our numbers. Mm. Yeah. And for anyone considering getting on board, what, what sort of things, what did you consider when you started back in 2020? What were you considering? What questions did you ask and what did you consider? How did it have to fit into your system here? Obviously, you, you wanted it to be fit in simply. You didn't want to sort of complicate management a hell of a lot. But yeah, what, what, what sort of um, things did you, you, did you have to tick off in your little checklist of, you know, reassurances? Yeah, I was just I, I guess I kept kept in contact with Murray quite often in regards to how the market was going in in the states, whether they'd bettered it bettered it down well properly. You know, it was it wasn't going to be a fly by night sort of thing. But uh, as time went on, um, Murray was assured me that they couldn't get enough of it. Mm. Um, the risk the risk side was a no brainer coming out of the drought. Um, we, and obviously the resources were our resources were pretty limited, so um, it took all the risk because the cattle market at that stage was going through the roof, starting to go through the roof, um, and we we didn't know when that was going to come <laughs> come down or if it had come down. It took a lot longer to come back than I expected. Not that I wanted it to come back, but we knew it was was in uncharted territory, and these things go in cycles, so it was going to have to come down at some point in time, and it. And it's come down with a thud now, but um, so that that brisk of in our case, um, we we bought the Brahman heifers quite well, but you know the last two years uh, I've dabbled in a in a couple of little lots of steers and really didn't make a lot of money out of them. So um, because the market tanked, um, mm. but we sort of tried to. I've tried to be patient, keep keep out of keep out of the market, you know, which has worked pretty well. But, um, yeah, so I think I think now that they've, they've got a, their American um, starting to up and get up and running too, so they've got places over there that are the American. Um, they meant, oh, what's their name? Is his name? Had a buyer buyer out here. The other day, it's going to run their American operations. Oh right, okay. Yeah, as in as in source grass fed from over yeah. there. Yeah, right. Yep. So they get he's lining up places over there. Now. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Um, so that's obviously going to solidify the whole business, business model. operation yeah. too. So. Yep. Um, and, and tell me about talk, talk about weather because I mean, you know, seasons and market and. We were talking about weather before. You, you, I was, I was interested to hear about your, your. Um, I don't. I wouldn't suggest you rely on, but someone, you know, some weather predictions that you, someone you tap into that you were, you know, you kind of put yeah, some prudence uh, on. Who, who, what's the chappy's name? David Burton he, is his real name. He's based up on the Gold Coast, and he's got a, a Facebook site. Um, since about two thousand and sixteen, he, he um, goes on planetary positions and forecasting how our weather systems respond to certain angles of the planets to the Earth. Um, and he's been pretty pretty close to the money. Um, so he, he 
forecast the drought 2018-19-20 drought back in 2008. So he wrote, wrote writing for a magazine. I can't remember them. It's like a financial magazine. Um, but he he wrote an article back in 2008 to say that every farmer needed to be out of debt by 2018-19. We're going to the biggest drought we've ever seen. He's also printed a forecast up to 2075 of where our droughts are going to be, where our um, our floods are going to be, you know, what, what's going to be an average year. Um, and it's and it's pretty much pretty much like on a global global scale. Like a lot of mm. a lot of times floods will come together around the world and whatnot. But he reckons our next flood is going to be 2025, end of 2025, 26 in there. And he reckons the ones we've just seen are puddles. <laughs> and our next drought is 2032. Really? Hmm. So, where, so we, you, or we got onto the Telegram group. Yeah. Telegram, Telegraph, yeah. Telegram. Um, and he is, which is... Inigo, Inigo Jones. Inigo Jones. So he sort of taken over from Inigo Jones's. He got a lot of. He got a hold. He went to a library. Um, not sure which, which library it was, but he got hold of all Inigo Jones because Inigo Jones's family put mm. put his records into a library. Yeah, right. And David Burton got hold of them. He's also W. D. Garn, who was a big markets forecaster in the states years ago. Um, lot he he. Did a lot of his um, work on planetary cycles and, and right. forecasting markets. Cyclic kind of, yeah. yeah, right. Got hold of all that sort of stuff, and he sort of researched all this, and he, he's pretty, pretty close. So, where does one find that? You said that you, you'd sort of basically put together a bit of a, you know, over the next few decades, a a, a run of where what where what he predicted things to be. Where does one on his? Has he got a website? Yeah, um, if you actually go onto his. Facebook page oh, right. and go back as far as you can. He's actually posted it on there a few times. Right. Um, David Burton. There you go. Yeah, so Indigo, John, Indigo Jones, long-term weather forecaster on the Facebook. Yep. But, yeah, so in the, in 2017 I started looking, came across him. And, um, well, in 2014? 2017. 17, right. And he, he was saying at that stage... Um, we're going in for a dry summer. Whatever you do, don't don't plant anything. It's going to be a waste of time. And the weather bureau were forecasting a La Nina, a wetter than average summer mm. in 2017. Um, so anyway, on the on the weather bureau's recommendation, we planted some soybeans here um, on about 25 mils of rain uh, in November. And it didn't come to anything. November 2017. Yeah. Yep. November 2017. Mm. <clears throat> it didn't come, didn't, didn't rain for six months. Didn't rain for six months. I think we got a little bit 2018 at the middle there, and then, then we went into the 2019, and it was just shocking. So, that two years back to back here, and they were our worst rainfall from. Um, 1885, we've got records at Pal Alley. Yeah. 2018 was our worst on record. Ah, uh, sorry. That's right, 2018 
was the worst on record in 2019. Was our third, third worst. Yeah. So back to back. Back to back. Jeez, that's pretty ordinary, isn't it? So we were sort of in the guts of it. So, so what I was pleased to hear, not that I'm you know going you know, <laughs> change change my plans too much, but interesting to hear that he 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 was suggesting that. Um, the, we'd get rain again in November, like, you know, there'd be sort of stormy activity and whether it's a normal spring or, a you know, just a stormy spring, I don't know. But then, you know, November may, may, be, may be a wet... Sp- well, I mean, it'd be incredible if it was another wet summer. Yeah. That'd be four in a row, yep. which was unheard well, of. Well, it was quite dry here last summer. Oh, well, that, yeah, well, that's true. We, we, we stopped he, raining in, he in December. He forecast a, a minor drought in January... 2023, which here we were, it was it was dry. Yes, here, but um, so yeah, so stormy, stormy, stormy for um, September October. If you if you get under one, you're lucky. You'll be yeah. lucky because it's yeah. going to be drier than normal. And then right from 11th of November onwards, you see this year says it's going to get wetter. Get wetter. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Well, this is interesting. <laughs> he, he might be running sort of. Counter to the bureau, by the sounds of it, in the bureau saying it's going to be pretty dry. Yeah, which is, in, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I guess that's their job. Their job is to forecast, and like, you know, a lot of people. There's a there's a lot of pessimism at the moment, isn't there, in the agriculture about the season? You know, and, and look, there are lots of things to make people that way. Interest rates going up, inflation. Um, we've had so many good years. Yes, there's been a few dry months here and there, but we've had some really wet years. You know, we're due for a dry one again. There's so many things suggesting it's going to be dry from a weather point of view, but also that it's going to be pretty ordinary. You know, cattle prices are down and sheep prices are down and everything's down. There's not a hell of a lot to be excited about at the moment, is there? No, I think um, a lot of people are nervous. And why wouldn't you? Coming out of the big drought a few years ago, it's um, still it's still hurt. It's still you know people you know, are still recovering from that. I think you know, whilst there's quite quite a few more cattle numbers around, people still haven't restocked, um, and then they've sort of got ha- halfway into the rebuild stage, and then it's got dry again. So, um, and maybe they re- <laughs> they, they didn't restock with their brood, you know, like they sort of might have done a bit of trading to get some quick mouths on and quick mouths off and. So maybe the breeding, the, the restocking of the whole breeding, from a purely numbers point of view, I don't know, but that might make some sense. And it's but, but still, for those who did restock at probably pretty high prices, yeah, they're they're looking down the barrel of yeah. well, they're half the value now. Yeah, so they're hurting. They're hurt, they gave restocking a crack. Yep. And, and a lot of them borrowed money to do it. Totally. Yeah. So and now they're worth half. The half of that's gone. Yeah. So you got the market and the interest rates going against them. Their confidence is confidence is not there. But um, he's whining. Certainly. Um, anyway, I think I, d- I think it's got a sev- this is like a seventy cycle written all over it again. You know, seventies. Like, yeah, nineteen seventies. We had we had a, a wet, pretty wet decade, but there was there was dry pinches in it. Um, and we had, we had rising interest rates. We had a cattle market crash. That's mm. got it's got the hallmarks of that in that cycle again. So, um, and that's 
I think everything goes in cycles, and I'm, I'm just looking at Bill's fish in this area. It's got it's got the seventies written all over it. Again. <clears throat> and there's probably even I mean, there's more factors now, isn't it? There's the export market. You know, there's over, overseas markets sort of influencing even more. There's probably some politics in there somewhere. There's you know the the threat of God forbid another bloody pandemic. Scam, panic, panic, whatever you, you know, like just stuff going on and things, other things at play that would even make it even, even more challenging. Yeah, you know, there's a lot, lot of negativity around. You know, I don't know this UN, this UN and the World Economic Forum. Now they're trying to shut down agriculture in the, you know, in, in Holland and. Yes, they've tried to they've tried to um, stop the use of fertilisers in Sri Lanka, and you know all this sort of cable. I think there's a lot of bad stuff behind happening behind these multinational corporations trying to take over the world. Basically, you know, um, it's a bit of negativity there too. I think it's I think that the, you know the forefront of that for farmers for for, for you know. The general population of farmers is <clears throat> is that whole methane, you know, we should eat, be eating bugs, not beef, mm. kind of thing. I think that's the that's the <clears throat> that's the coal face of it, um, uh, which is absolutely valid because I I got a big big problem with that. Um, but I yes, but I think you're right, Baden. There's <clears throat> there's other layers to it. There's other you know the fact that large tracts of land are being bought up. In the states, as a as a as a thing, you know, and and by by someone who's probably not going to grow a lot of food on it. Um, if he is, it's going to be GMO soybeans and trying to put into some ridiculous plant based patties. <clears throat> you know, there's there are a lot of agendas at play about um, you know, even this whole carbon thing from a farmer's point of view is like it's not it presents an opportunity, um, but what it has done is that it's piqued the interest of a lot of non farmers who are tapping in. Yep. making some money out of it, commoditisation of carbon, but also probably, dare I say, worse on a different level is those corporations, individuals, whatever, who are going, oh, maybe we can maybe we can audit everyone and just monitor their carbon emission kind of footprint and yep. if, they're, if they're emitting too much, we might just have to get them to eat bugs and not... Yeah. Beef because they've, they've they've overdone overshot their their quota for the month. Or worse, will shut down their bank accounts. Or yes, all this sort of thing. Totally, on, you know? um, totally. Now a lot of people would probably think we're conspiracy theorists, Baden. Probably would, but and I don't mind. And I don't mind. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. There's not. It's not. It's, it's not fictitious. It's actually. It's more a matter of these are facts. These things are happening, mm. and there's there's more than talk going on about it. But it's about joining the dots and kind of seeing the similarities of who the individuals are involved, who the organisations are, their history, their you know their their, their the scoreboard of, of where what they've done and what what they are likely again to do. And there's there's a, there's there's some very compelling reasons why they would want to do that. Yeah. A lot of money can be made. A lot of money in it. A lot of people. Follow can the be, money trail. Follow the money. Yeah. But I think in, in regards to farmers and what we're trying to achieve um, and are achieving in the in the regen space, um, I think we are the ones leading. You know, a lot, a lot of a lot of this regenerative um, and carbon sequestration, like 
the likes of Terry McCosker and these guys have done a lot of work with, and we know we can do it. We, it it's been proved scientifically proven that we can sequester carbon through the right grazing methods and whatever. That's that's farmers that are lead in Australia that are leading it. So if a, a big corporation comes in here and says, right, boys, sorry, you've got to get off your land. We want to do it better. Well, I'm sorry, I don't think there is anyone doing it better. Um, certainly. Certainly in the universities aren't teaching it. Um, farmers are leading the way. And I think that I'm pretty positive. I, 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 think, I think in uh, 10 or 15 years' time, um, we'll, have, we'll have way better soils than we have now. I think we're, we're on the right track. Um, I think our, our water cycles will be, be working. I think we'll have our nutrients uh, cycling properly. Um, it's just a it's a it's just a matter of changing the mindset. Um, but so it's scientific scientifically proven that we can sequester carbon into our soil. So, um, and if we can make money from the big corporations on the way, um, happy days. But at this point in time. I think we'll just sit back and see, just watch the, watch this space, just see how it unfolds. Well, as as we were saying before, Baden, you know, the results or the outcome of you doing what you're doing are going to show up in, you know, in the sale yards, whether that's yield or quality um, of, you know, of, say, um, livestock or, you know, quality of and yield of your of crops, um, you know, habitat, Environment, ecology, you know, all those things are going to benefit, you know, the bottom line anyway, because um, they just do and they will. And, you know, building resilience in your landscape, but also, you're, you're right, like, and if the carbon scenarios and market feels comfortable, well, then you, you're, you're, <clears throat> you're already in the game, yeah. if you choose to be, yeah, as opposed to... Yeah, I guess the only thing that, you know, we're sort of considering it right now is is doing some baseline, some basic baseline, not, not thorough, because we don't want to go and spend a whole lot of money to do baseline and then work out, well, actually, I don't know that, and there's, you know, a bit of science around how you can predict the increase from a point. <clears throat> we don't want to, you know, because we've been at it for a few years now, I'm not suggesting we're, you know, we're, we've hit the, the top of the peak, but it's just it's just making an informed decision about what's the potential, you know, and maybe a place like Palau over there has got a bit more potential because you're starting from a lower base because you haven't been working it in the same way you've been doing over here. So I think it's a sensible thing to to keep your, you know, put your get your finger in that pie without burning it off, but just you know checking checking it. But it, but as a as a secondary thing, you know, you primary primarily you're a farmer who's yeah. producing food. That's you know. it. How's that sun on your face here? You. Not uh, getting too cooked. Another um, rain coming. It's pretty dark out <laughs> here and there, isn't it? The love, what a lovely sun this afternoon. The sun's come yeah, back yeah. out after a couple of meals of rain. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to do a little Q and A in a minute. Yep. I'm conscious of the time. Time you've been sitting there. You probably got a sore bum. I've got to think just about my 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 rest of the afternoon or evenings travel. But more importantly. Um, we're going to do a little Q&A after this for our Patreon members who want to join us 
and um, hear what Baden has to say about some other some other questions, answers to some questions I have. Yep. Very specific, hard. I've saved the hard ones up for later. No, I haven't. They're pretty straight. <laughs> they're pretty straightforward, <laughs> but standard for the Q and A. Um, well, I can't say how much I've enjoyed. I, mean, I can say I'm going to say how much I've enjoyed today. Um, I love coming through. I don't come, as I said to you before, I, I don't come through here very often. It's often to a bull sale in Narrabri um, on the odd occasion. And it always fascinates me because I've never lived up here. I've been through it plenty of times. But I love the, the, the diversity, you know, the ranges and then the, the river flats and then that sort of intermediate kind of sloping country. Um, it is incredibly diverse, you know, in all different ways. And, and I guess that's one of the, one of the, one of the benefits of here is that Lots of different things can be applied in, you know, relatively small area. You yeah. know, different different practices. You got cropping, you got cattle. Um, there is a history of sheep up here, obviously, but not so many now. Certainly, a good place for pigs. Certainly, <laughs> very good place for pigs. <laughs> Certainly, uh, different soil types here too. Huge variation in soil types. Yes, which proposes a challenge sometimes. But um, yeah, it is it is quite diverse area. Um, wildlife. Fish, cod in the river, mm. yellow belly, catfish, platypus. Oh yeah, well that's a, they're a good sign, aren't they? they Indicate a species. Um, platypus. Yeah, I get a lot do, of bird do, life. Do you get um, feral pigs sort of pitching up to your pigs over here, hanging around? They, in the drought, they they were trying to get close because there was there'd be a bit of grain lying around in all the hopper or something. Even though I've got a ring lock fence around it, they they get in. I haven't seen a fence. Yet that uh, completely keeps pigs out. Mm. Electric fence, they'll take a run up at it. Yeah, and squeal and then bang. Yeah. Um, so that and that is a that's a worry. That's why we're trying to put an exclusion fence eventually right all the way around this property. Yep. To try and knock their numbers down, but that's uh, don't like using poisons. Um, we trap a lot, but you're only skirting around the edges. We've got yeah, you know, um, we've had aerial shoots. Um, had eight, got 1,800 in one day not so long ago. Um, 1,800? Yeah. In the in the valley? In the valley, 20 places. 1,800. And then and within two months, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. Back to that. No, it just spread up. So pity it couldn't be like, I mean, that's a lot of nutrients that could be composted or something, isn't it? Oh, such a waste, isn't it? That's a, a really? waste. I mean, it could be an asset. I don't know. You'd struggle to call it an asset, but... But if it could be, it could be utilised as a, you know, in a, in compost or yeah. or something. Yeah, that'd be the and, and you know, the professional shooter, probably it takes a certain amount to the to the chillers, and they go mm. export to Germany to, mm. into wild game meat. Yes, but um, they're only skirting around the edges too. Wow. Um, I'd hate to think how much they eat. You know, they, and they'll find the wild pig will find the best protein. You know, to the point, even in a drought, I've seen them eat grasshoppers um, to, to stay alive because yeah. the grasshopper's full of protein. And yeah. There's just no protein anywhere else. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, I guess they do. I mean, your cattle and sheep won't because that's just not their nature. Mm. Um, <laughs> they're survivors. Totally. Well, that's I guess so. That's why they're so so prolific here. Yeah. Um, 
Baden, we might call that quits. I'm also conscious that your video is probably running out of batteries as well. No worries. And we'll do, we'll do it. We'll have a little break and we'll do another 10 minutes. No, that's lo- fantastic. No, that's great. As I said, it's been fantastic to, to meet you, hear your story, have the chat, look around, bring a bit of rain with me. Yeah, and time, um, no, It'd be great. No, I, 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 one of my favourite things is travelling around the countryside, speaking with farmers, understanding you know how they got to be in this whether it's geographically in this part of the world or whether it's just, you know, philosophically how they got to be there. Um, we could have gone a bit deeper into, into some of that, uh, you know, maybe another time. The, well, yeah, just the kind of the the human side of it, like the, 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 the challenge of change and, yeah. and that. But it sounds like you had a very um, uh, a, a father who was willing to let you make those changes and it sounds like you're probably in some ways ready to... Willing to let the boys do, yeah, do that as too? Most definitely. I think they've got to be allowed allowed to uh, have their own and, and, and run with it. If they turn up and say, hey, Dad, we, I think we should go and hit that thing with a whole lot of MCPA and glean and want to get back to a monoculture, what would you say? Um, I would say... You can swear no. if you want. <laughs> 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 <No>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, there you go. So you, you say you're principle based as well, though. <laughs> and I'd give them a reason. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. No. Well, I'm sure they would respect that. But, uh, I think I think the the good thing is that they're excited. You know, they they're coming up with their little their ideas and forming their opinions now too, which is a great thing um, on on the way the place should go forward. Well, exciting for you. I imagine it's exciting for you that they they've come back here. You know, very. You've got to accommodate uh, them. There's some houses to fix up and yeah, things to sort very, of work uh, out. But that's that's a great. Very lucky when you consider, you know, over the last twenty years, how many how many country kids, how many off farms have drifted to the city. Yeah. Um, and we did. You know, I didn't push them anyway. It's just the way they they wanted to go. So. Well, you must have done something right. I suppose. Or sure, Jen might have done something right. Jen's she a, might be making up for you. It's a good mother. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I think that's a re- that's a really not that the story is finished by any means, but that's a that's a I mean, call it a success story. But I yeah. mean, I think that's the important thing, or the critical thing, or the thing to consider is you know giving kids the opportunity. You want you want them to come back to an asset, not a liability. You know, and and, and I think that's what you what you're doing and what <clears throat> I advocate. And you know, I guess what I feel is a is a good thing is that. People doing what you're doing on farms is creating an asset, is creating an attractive thing to come back to. And whether that's for just because their wives are happy to have children in an environment that's not dowsing chemical every day, or whether it's just the vibe, or whether it's just because there's a source of clean, nutritious food, or yeah. myriad of reasons, I think there's is, it's very compelling for young people to come back to these sort of environments because because that's that's a that's thankfully a choice, but also it's it's a, it's it's a pretty bright future, I think. Yeah, I think so, and, and and they've seen they've seen the the worst of it too. You know, they've, they've come through come through the worst drought in my lifetime, and, and and probably my grandfather's and his grandfather's lifetime. Yeah. Um, and and there was a pretty bad flood the other day, so it's taken out fencing, and it, you know, nearly got up to the Palel House. We're trying to renovate, like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They're still there. So. <laughs> That's right. Lots of reasons they can they can move. Now is that tractor over there bogged, or is that just a is that a, an old tractor or an old bore or something? No, that's a, that's um, 
waiting for a part, actually. All right, so it's it's actually like still it's it's, it's yeah, still operable. It's a goer, so, but yeah, it, right. Um, but we're, we've got an oil leak in it, so it's waiting parts. Oh, all right. <laughs> Sometimes seeing old tractors and paddocks is a telltale sign that someone's just got you know they've got a bore there and they've just got the they got a three point linkage yeah, right, pumping yeah, going. No. I've seen a few of them at home. No, not too many bores down this end of the valley, actually. No. Well, Baden, we better knock off and right, we'll, we'll sit so. back in a minute. Well, that is a wrap for the season. Please don't turn off and fast forward or go to the next episode of someone else's podcast. Hang in there. I do have a few things to announce, a few things to say before we wrap this season up, this season seven of the Regenerative Journey. I've got a few thank yous and a few other things just to drop on your table and in your ears before you have a break from the regenerative journey maybe go back and listen to a few previous episodes because there's a shite load of them i do have some thank yous i'll do that now uh reese prime i'll say primarily because he's as i said probably said previously the patient of a saint um if i couldn't do it without reese's magical audio technical wizardry um pulling these episodes together each and every week throughout the season um sorting out my stuff ups, um, blending things together, overlaying with all those awesome things he does. Big thank you to Reese. Um, he's getting married soon too. Actually, he's getting married around the time this will probably come out or maybe he's already married by then. Um, and he is going to take a, a well-earned break, I'm sure, for, for the honeymoon and from from his duties at the podcast. Um, of course, Michelle, who is um, ever-present in um, in the background and the foreground to um, helping um, keep me on track uh, lining up guests, all the administration, all the stuff that happens, and I'm mostly oblivious to it all, but it's so um, integral to the success and the prog- progress and the uh, getting these punched out every week throughout a season. Highland Beef, of course, our um, show sponsors for a second second season in a row. Um, really uh, appreciate their sponsorship and their support. Um, beef, cattle. Um, meat, uh, farming, grazing is very close to my heart and um, it's been a, a beautiful union and partnership throughout the season. Um, some fascinating interviews, our in-between episodes um, and Baden, who you've just listened to. Excuse me, to finish off the season, is a great example of the type of farmer, the progressive farmers that um, they have in their in their business and that they partner with to get um, good grass-fed beef into the onto the plates of um, of discerning and hungry um, customers. So thank you again to Murray and Tony and um, all Alex and the team there at Holland Beef. Um, a big thank you to all our guests. We've had uh, I can't remember how many episodes we've actually punched out this season, but but probably more than normal. Uh, it's been quite a long season. Um, however, it's been Wonderful. Each and every one of them has absolutely fully deserved their place in season seven. There's just so many more I could interview. There's ones overseas. Um, there's so many more in Australia. There's ones around the corner. There's ones on the other side of the country. Um, there's no shortage of opportunity. Well, opportunity to interview them is sometimes um, uh, tricky, but certainly the the number of, um, of guests that we could interview and would love to interview is never-ending. Thank you to... Uh, my family, Angelica especially, for her intro she does a little, and that was Jason Carter. And you're listening to Regenerative Journey. She does that so much better than I can, um, and she's uh, integral in the um, in the success because, you know, she's, uh, she's a major part of the team, not just the sort of business team here, but obviously family, and, and I couldn't do – there's lots of things I couldn't do without her. Um, so thank you to Angelica and the family, the kids, um, for um, – 
their patience too because, you know, it does take some time to do these little recordings and heading, leaving home to do interview people. Um, I appreciate um, their support. And finally, um, in terms of thank yous, you, the listener, if you weren't giving me feedback, if you weren't enjoying these, if you weren't being inspired by the guests and their stories, their own regenerative journeys, then I don't think it'd be any point me doing it. And so we do receive amazing feedback. We do, um, we are told of um, the inspiration that is given um, to you, the listeners, by the guests and their interviews and their their they're digging deep into their regenerative journeys and and so thank you for spending the time because you know there's no doubt there are a bazillion different podcasts out there uh, that you could be listening to you could be spending your time with um, and you've chosen at various times to listen to the regenerative journey feel free to go back in time and and jump into some of the previous episodes and I thank you for for your support and your kind words um, it's been fantastic. The Australian Podcast Awards are coming up. I think they're, I'm not sure when the nomination. Actually, the nominations are announced tomorrow. So I'm not sure whether you'll hear maybe on socials if we do um, end up on the finals. We did um, submit a couple of couple of um, entries there. Um, two out of the last three years, we've actually been finalists in in different categories. Which is, I mean, I've got to say, it's I'm pretty chuffed about because I think a lot of people do enter those competitions and it's just, it, it, I guess it's a mark of the quality of the of the podcast, the guests, and it's, you know, we'll see how we go this year. I won't count my chickens. Um, I do just want to reference, um, if anyone's interested in biodynamic workshops, just go to charliearnett.com.au and check out the events there. There'll be plenty of events. Next year's going to be chockers with other biodynamic workshops, with other events we're putting on. We've just finished our webinar series literally today, um, in recording this today, we finished our, our eighth webinar series um, with um, Kay Tomarup, Brad and Katie Collins, um, and Jake Chandler as as practitioners of regenerative practices um, at various various stages of kind of um, of their own journeys, uh, and it was fantastic. So we'll be doing something next year. Stay tuned for the next instalment of your regenerative journey, um, and we'll get back to you with some uh, how that might be rolling out next year also integrity meats if you want to do you want to sample some of our lamb um and our grass-fed lamb and also um, other delicious you know pasteurized grass-fed products from integrity meats go to their website um and put your order in they're in goulburn they're fantastic um so don't you know don't fight the urge to get yourself some good grass-fed um products from them uh one last little plug for Little Plains, our Airbnb, it's live, it's going, it's amazing, it sleeps 12, it's got five bedrooms, it's got everything you can ever need there, um, set amongst the beautiful rolling hills of um, just out of Burua, and it is an old Federation 1927-built um, uh, home there that you are just going to love. So we're, we're, we would love to have people there as families, um, as couples, as retreats. We think it's actually going to be a great spot for retreats for people to sort of take their clients um, hold a hold a business sort of retreat with your your staff, your your employees, your whatever you want it to be. We will cater and uh, just get in touch with us. Go to charlieunt.com.au, check out the Farm Stay page and put your expression of interest in there, or just get in touch about um, about that. And you know when you can want to book in and all that sort of caper. We will um, happy to chat um, uh, personally about you know your needs and, and how that we can make that all work for you. That's enough for me. I'm going to give my voice a rest from at least the podcast for the next few months as hopefully the rain is just starting to, it's just just starting to, to tumble down here. Um, we trust we're going to get a, a good swag of rain in the next 24 hours. 
um, we could do with it. I know there's plenty of people north and west of here that could do with a few good, a good drenching, and we'll see how the season play, play, plays out for the rest of the year. But thank you again, your listeners. Um, this is season seven signing off for the regenerative journey, and uh, I trust your regenerative journey, the continuation of your own regenerative journey, <laughs> goes swimmingly. Uh, you'll you'll meet some challenges, you'll have some wins. Um, you'll learn a lot, I no doubt, and uh, as long as you're going forward and progressing uh, and you're green, you're growing. So we'll catch up with you for Season 8 of The Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.